You're listening to episode 10 of the Child Life On Call podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Child Life On Call podcast. When your child is sick, the whole world seems to stop in its tracks. Plans and priorities change, and your number one job becomes figuring out how to get your child well again. For some of us, rest, medications, and relaxation can do the trick. But for others, it takes more. It takes countless doctor appointments, invasive medical testing, therapy, surgeries, the list goes on, and then you still may not have all of the answers or results you were hoping for. This podcast features parents of children that have an illness or medical condition and gives them a place to share their own journeys and experiences. We will talk about the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, but one thing seems to remain the same. Children are resilient and teach us more about ourselves and the world than we could ever imagine. Thank you so much for lending a listening ear and opening up your heart to these families and this podcast. I'm your host, Katie Taylor. When you see your loved one struggling, especially a child, you feel helpless and there's nothing in this world worse for a parent or a caregiver than feeling helpless knowing you cannot help your child make the pain end. So it's okay to break down. Um, It's okay to ask questions, but always know that there is support everywhere. Hello, my friends, and I am so glad that you are here and joining us for today's episode of the Child Life On Call podcast. I am so excited that we have made it to 10 episodes. This really feels like a huge milestone, and I appreciate all the support and the sharing and the listening that each and every one of you have done for all of these episodes. Make sure that you are following along with us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter so you can see photos of the families we've talked to, get updates about how they're doing, and also find how to connect with them and follow along with some of their journeys on social media. On today's episode, I'm honored to introduce you to Roxanne. She will be sharing her son's journey with viral encephalitis and subsequent epilepsy diagnosis and brain surgeries. Make sure you stay tuned until the very end because Roxanne will tell us how we can follow along with Ruben's journey and receive updates about how he's doing. Roxanne starts off our conversation today about telling us about her family and where they come from. My name is Roxanne Nias. Um, I am married to Andrew Nias. Um, we are a military family. My husband is active duty. He's a combat medic in the Army. Uh, I do human resources, um, currently doing contract work right now. Uh, we have three kids. So Ruben is the oldest. He's 17. Cece is the middle child. She's 15. And then we have a three-year-old, Thomas, and uh, we are in San Antonio, Texas right now. Most likely we'll be moving in about a year, wherever the Army puts us. Oh my gosh. So you don't have any idea where you're going to go? We never do. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're hopeful (laughs) for something like Washington or Colorado, but uh, wherever wherever we go, should be fun. So uh, I know we're going to be talking about Ruben today, who's your oldest. Um, So why don't you go ahead and just kind of start from the beginning um, where you noticed something was going on with Ruben. So this kind of goes back about four years now. Um, Ruben was a freshman at James Madison High School here in San Antonio, Texas, 
great time for him going into high school, super excited about what's coming his way. Uh, he was a football player and a really good one at that. Um, it was the first week of school and it was Labor Day weekend. Uh, he played his first game, made some amazing tackles, and um, overall it was a good weekend. Uh, as time went on, he started feeling kind of sick. So uh, he was showing signs of fever initially. Uh, my husband and I took him, this was Labor Day 2014. My husband and I took him to the emergency room on base here in San Antonio, and um, they weren't quite sure. He was showing signs of meningitis, but not visible enough. Um, and so they just thought maybe it was viral. So they asked us to continue with ibuprofen and Tylenol and hydrate. And if symptoms worsen, obviously follow up with his pediatrician. So we went back home and uh, two days later, he got worse. Um, fever got much higher. We're talking like 103. Um, he started showing, um, uh, he had body ache. He lost his appetite. He couldn't eat. His stomach wouldn't let him. He wasn't nauseated. It was just painful to eat like bruising. He also started having headaches. So we took him to see his pediatrician the pediatrician was actually a little puzzled because he was showing symptoms of the flu. And so we're like, okay, it's going to be diagnosed as flu. It's going to come back for sure positive as flu. So he had, he definitely had flu like symptoms, but the strange thing is he tested positive for strep and he had zero throat pain and he's had strep before. So it, it was really weird. Um, and so we said, okay, we're going to put him on antibiotics now, um, give it a couple days and see what happens. And so now it's Wednesday. We're starting antibiotics. Um, Friday afternoon, he was hungry enough to eat oatmeal. And so he started to show signs of improvement, I thought, at least because he started gaining appetite and was able to hold it down without so much pain. Then it was late afternoon, probably 3.30-ish, um, and he said things were getting worse, and he was worried, so I called the pediatrician, and they asked me to take him in first thing Saturday just to see if they maybe misdiagnosed or something else is going on. Um, we never made it to that appointment. Instead, it was probably between 2 and 4 a.m. Saturday morning, my husband and I woke up to Ruben making the most bone chilling noise till this day. We, we have nightmares about this very moment. Um, my husband jumped up. He went to go check on Ruben. At first he said, okay, well maybe he's just in a deep sleep. He came and he said, he just kind of seems confused. Like he doesn't know me. And I said, okay, well, maybe he was just having a bad dream. All of a sudden, we noticed Ruben get up from his room and go down the hallway. So my husband and I followed, and um, he laid on the couch in the living room, put himself in fetal position, and all of a sudden, he started having a, a convulsive seizure. So uh, we immediately called 911. Some paramedics came and um, 
checked on him. They checked vitals. They checked oxygen. He came out of the seizure. At that time, mind you, my husband and I didn't know he was having a seizure. We weren't sure what was going on. Um, strange as it is for my husband, even though he's a combat medic, he had never seen anyone have a seizure. So it was new to both of us. And so the paramedics thought maybe he was severely dehydrated. So they recommended that we take him in to the ER. We took him into an emergency room. Um, he got back pretty quick. I left at that time. Um, Tommy, who's now three, he was only about two months old, if that. And, um, so I came home, my husband was with them to check on the baby. My father and my mother had met me at the ER and they stayed with Ruben. I pulled up to my driveway and got out of my car. And before I could even walk through my front door, my dad called me. And I'll never forget his words either. Um, he told me, I need you to stay calm and I need you to listen. You need to get back here pretty quick. I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't look good for Ruben. So I immediately told my husband, um, one of my brothers came and, and stayed with their daughter and, and the baby. And we went to the emergency room. And when we walked in, we noticed my parents were in the room, but Reuben was not there. And so we're freaking out. And that's when my dad tells me we thought that Reuben was just having a massive heart attack. Instead, he was having a convulsive seizure and it wasn't stopping. He had already hit seven minutes. So they had to take immediate action to make it stop, which they finally did. Um, and they hadn't brought him back yet. Um, once things calmed down, that he went back into the room and there must have been at least five doctors in the ER, maybe eight or nine nurses just working on IVs and trying to keep him, you know, talking and, you know, ruling out different diagnoses, adding all kinds of different medication um, and then we moved on to the next emergency hospital, which was the, uh, pediatric intensive care unit, uh, over in Stone Oak, uh, here in San Antonio, Texas. From North Central Baptist, um, hospital, um, Ruben was there in the pediatric intensive care unit and, um, it was just like a blurry dream where everyone was talking, um, but I couldn't understand the words coming out of anyone's mouth. And my ears would just ring and tears were pouring down my face. And I just felt like I wanted to pass out, you know, um, on one side, I have a center for infectious disease doctor asking me all the questions. Um, have you traveled outside of the country? You know, um, has he been around? Uh, has he done any hunting? I didn't even know how to answer those questions because on the other side, I had a neurologist explaining that the next 24 hours were going to be critical. Then 
Ruben was isolated in a room because no one knew what was going on and if he was contagious or not. His fever was spiraling and no one could, the doctors couldn't get it under control. The seizures wouldn't stop. So there was an intensivist in the room with Ruben, um, putting him in a medically induced coma because they had to do, um, a spinal tab. And, um, so there I could hear my son screaming. Then I have these other two doctors and, um, it was just devastating watching my 14 year old thinking he was just playing a football game. What happened? (laughs) It took a, it took a few days. Um, you know, this was a weekend when we got there Saturday. And so tests weren't going to come back as fast as, uh, you know, they, the doctors, the neurologists, the pediatricians, the intensivists wanted them to. So, um, one of the one, one of the tests that did come back pretty quick was, uh, he had a CT scan, uh, he had an EEG and he had an MRI. Um, the neurologist, um, had already made an assumption that Ruben had meningitis. Well, after looking at those results and getting back the results of Ruben's spinal tap, um, the neurologist set my husband, myself, my mother and my father down and told us that um, Reuben tested positive uh, for encephalitis, viral encephalitis. And so the four of us are looking at the neurologist uh, like deer in headlights. <laughs> we had no idea what encephalitis was. And so it, it was another pause. What questions do we ask? What does this mean? Um, so he started to explain Ruben had, and may still have, because no doctor can really determine if it ever leaves your body or not, um, viral encephalitis. And so what that is, is, um, it's a virus that there's no cure for that causes, uh, inflammation in the brain. So the only thing that doctors can do for one that is diagnosed with encephalitis is A, hope they diagnose it and catch it pretty quick, and B, try to try their best to um, control the seizures. Ultimately, if it's not caught soon enough, the inflammation will continue to spread and um, one who has encephalitis chances are they won't make it. Wow, that sounds a lot like damage control, kind of just helping the symptoms rather than actually being able to cure it. Exactly. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. Um, You know, we were told that there was no cure. Um, Ruben at this point was receiving approximately seven different medications, um, seizure prevention. Um, he was receiving different antibiotics, antiviral, because they still had to roll out a bunch of other things. And the, the main thing was the seizures had to stop. So we were there for about half a month in North Central Baptist. And, um, you know, the neurologist gave us everything we didn't want to hear, but had to hear. 
So we were told, um, I was told that I needed to consider quitting my job because Ruben was going to need someone to care for him full time. And, um, he would never walk, talk, hear, eat, see the same. And, um, I just wasn't prepared to hear that. Um, my son, he's this social butterfly that has never been afraid to do anything and he will try anything and he just loved life so much and was so full of life and his high school the golden years they were just beginning for him and just as fast as it started every everything was taken you know life stopped for a long time and it was devastating it was rough. Who did you lean on for support while all this was happening and you had two other kids to care for and while Reuben was in the hospital? You know, it was so hard when Reuben was in the hospital because I had a newborn at home. Um, my daughter, you know, needed me and my husband and it was so hard. And so between my mother, my father, my husband and I, we rotated shifts and, uh, both of my older brothers also helped out and, um, kind of funny, but I'm going to add it just cause it is kind of humorous. Um, I, I was nursing my newborn. And so my brothers would take turns, um, coming and to the hospital one of the nurses set up a little station for me to pump. So the, my brothers would take turns <laughs> and they would say, we have to come pick up the goods. Well, they had my newborn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they would show up with this big lunchbox <laughs> looking thing. And yeah, they would take whatever I pumped. And so they would take turns uh, with Tommy during the day as much as they could. And, and my daughter and, um, my mom and my dad and I and my husband would switch out. For my husband and I, uh, we really didn't see each other much. The Army was awesome to my husband and allowed him to just focus on on Reuben and all of us. And um, what my husband and I had to do is we both knew we still needed to spend time with our daughter and the baby. So my husband would... Um, take, uh, stay with my son, with Ruben from about maybe 6 PM until about 6 AM. And then we would rotate when he would get there. Um, I would leave and vice versa. So my husband and I didn't really see much of each, each other besides a goodbye and a hello kiss, I guess. Um, and, uh, we would take turns. My mom and I would stay one night. My dad and my husband would stay one night, you know, and we would rotate all with, with the kids. So it was really rough. I, um, I leaned on my parents and my brothers, uh, specifically my brother, David, for a lot of support. I leaned on my husband, even though we didn't see each other, we were each other's rocks, um, and um, one thing that I will say, um, I've always been a, a, a pretty religious person. Um, 
But when this happened to Ruben, um, I was angry. Uh, I don't even know if angry is the word. It's beyond that. And I couldn't understand why a child should have to go through this. Why not me? And um, so I lost my faith um, for a little while. And um, as fast as I lost it, God made it very apparent that he was there and he was working. And um, so I leaned on God and I gained hope and faith like I never did before. And through all of that, my family, I had a lot of a lot of friends checking on us, too. Um, so family, friends and um, God, that's that's what got me through it. Yeah, I think um, a lot of parents have expressed they had that similar um struggle with um, faith and and spirituality during a time like that. What was it like for Ruben while he was in the hospital? Was he sedated? Was he able to communicate with you? Was he able to squeeze your hand, look in your eyes? What was that like? So for the stay of um, when Ruben was sick in the hospital, for the first week, I mean, he was pretty much under, um, you know, Every now and then they would ease up on one of the medications that they gave him to put him in the medically induced coma because they were trying to get him to wake up and see how he was doing. Um, he would kind of look around, but that was about it. After, I was about maybe six days. After about six days, um, they completely took him off of it and they were able to just control the seizures with other heavy and high doses of, of seizure prevention medication. So at that point, what we were working with Ruben on and, and how he was with us, um, he wasn't aware of what was going on at, at that for a good time. And so um, he would talk, he would laugh, uh, he would cry he would get frustrated. Um, towards the end of this hospital stay, when he became more aware of what was going on, he became determined. Um, you know, one thing I, I remember with Ruben is um, we had to give him a bath. And, and this was maybe about four days before we took him home from the hospital. And, um, you know, he wasn't walking, right? So my dad and I were there for, for this period. And uh, we put him in a wheelchair and there was a, a bathroom in the hospital right by him. And, and there was a bathtub. So my dad and I had to bathe him. And when we put him in the tub, we immediately noticed, I mean, just uncontrollable tears coming down his face. At that point, I knew that he knew that he was in a bad situation. So my dad and I continued to bathe him, um, got him dressed, wheeled him back. As we were walking back down the hallway to the room he was in, he asked my dad to stop. Um, he couldn't see clearly. And so he looked, tried to look towards me and he was able to put his hand on my hand and he asked me if he was dying. Um, and I didn't even know what to say cause I didn't know. 
if he was or he wasn't. Uh, so I did what I think any parent would have done. Um, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I don't know why every parent always says that, but what can we say? And um, we were we happened to be right by a window. And he at that point he told me I can't even see. So I had my dad wheel him over to the window we were by, and he. I told him, I want you to look out this window and I want you to tune everything out and just focus on what you see. Do you see a person? Do you see a car? Well, we were, gosh, I can't even remember. I think the first, fourth floor of the hospital. And um, so he's looking out the window and he says, I see an ambulance. And then he started talking a little bit more. I can see a cloud. Um, I can see a helicopter. And so then he started crying uncontrollably. And that's when I told him, you're going to be okay. That's when the determination came. So then he wanted to be involved and know what the doctors were saying. He wanted to know what was happening. And he tried his best to understand it. And when he heard he was not going to be able to walk again, he sure did prove those doctors wrong. And he stood right up. And he, it was two steps, but I'll tell you what, it was the most amazing two steps he's ever taken. There is no doubt that Reuben gets his strength and determination from his mom. For as many struggles and dark times as they went through, Roxanne shares with us the impact that their journey has had on their entire family and the way they live their life. Our journey is, is ongoing. Um, Reuben in addition to being diagnosed with viral encephalitis, two years post-encephalitis, he was diagnosed with epilepsy. And so it's, it's been ongoing. He's had four brain surgeries. Um, something that really came from all of this, it's, even though it's really hard to find the positive sometimes, we've learned to all really open our eyes and learn that, learn how to appreciate the small things in life. Um, Something like a glass of water that one would take for granted because we think it's always going to be there is amazing for all of us. Um, being able to work out like I did earlier today, um, being able to text my son and tell him I love him. Um, we've learned as a family that there really is not an obstacle that is too big for us to overcome and we've also learned that we're strong and together we can get through anything. And um, it's just really shown us a different light in what life has to offer. And it's also shown us just how quick everything can be taken from us. So humble is a big one for us. Forgiveness is key. And never judge because you don't really know what lies underneath. Was his epilepsy diagnosis related to his encephalitis or were those two separate diagnoses or do they go hand in hand? Is that typical? Uh, yes and no. Every, every case is different. Um, Ruben's case was extremely, I want to say rare because encephalitis is pretty rare in the United States, but um, his case was just extremely difficult. Um, 
for Ruben, encephalitis and epilepsy went hand in hand. Uh, and so normally when one is diagnosed with encephalitis and they make a pretty good recovery, it's about a two-year mark that the seizures would stop, at least from what I understand from the neurologists that I have been working with. For Ruben, Ruben went through approximately nine different seizure prevention medications that wouldn't stop the seizures post-encephalitis. So we were consistently in and out of the emergency room. Um, he was consistently missing school because some of the medications made him sick or he was having seizures at school or he just had a seizure that morning. Um, so when we hit our two-year mark of, of post-encephalitis, the neurologist that was treating Ruben at that point for medication uh, had to diagnose Ruben with epilepsy, which devastated Ruben and all of us. And that's when we got referred to a different neurologist that specialized in epilepsy. And she had to take a different look to see if what was going on and if something was missed. Staying humble, forgiveness, and not being judgmental is key for Roxanne and her family. Before Roxanne and I spoke for this interview, she passed along a video to me that documented Ruben's initial experience with viral encephalitis. In the video, you can see that basketball is a huge part of Ruben's life. As child life specialists, being aware of adolescents' extracurricular activities is always top of mind to us. As adults, it can be easy for us to dismiss something like a basketball game, upcoming final exam, or even a dance competition. But for a lot of teens, these activities are their entire world. Now knowing that when Ruben's initial fight with encephalitis began, that it never really ended and he went on to have subsequent brain surgeries, I asked Roxanne how they prioritize basketball now. My son is an inspiration for so many, and he's an inspiration to me. He's my hero. But the one thing that I will say uh, with Ruben specifically, and I'm sure other parents that have children illnesses could probably relate, especially if their child is a teenager. Um, basketball was definitely a big part of Ruben's life. He's been passionate about it. It's helped him. But his sophomore year, it was taken from him. He continued to work with his mentor from balling as a habit as long as he could. And then the season ended and they didn't go on with the boys AAU team anymore. So Ruben lost basketball. Ruben lost himself for quite some time when he lost basketball. And um, it was an extremely difficult moment because our time, because we weren't, we were getting answers we needed with this new neurologist. She is amazing. I, I can't say that enough. But the answers we were getting were just making us, they were bringing us back to where we started. Um, gray mass was discovered in my son's brain and um, it was quickly discovered that he needed to have surgery but in order to have the surgery he had to have some pretty invasive testing done where electrodes were placed into his brain and seizures were triggered over a seven-day hospital stay. Uh, we almost lost Reuben again during that time because he had a seizure he wasn't coming out of. So um, 
yes, basketball was a big deal. How do I feel now about the quality of what's happened? We're still recovering from the surgery. Um, he just had June 30th. We were just in the hospital again, July 23rd. Um, and for the first 24 hours back in a critical state where he somehow got swelling in his brain again, and, um, they weren't sure if he was going to make it or not. So, um, right now we're focusing on helping Ruben find what he's passionate about and just own it and love it and run with it. He's happy that he's at his senior year. He's excited about college. Um, I think he's in a good point right now, but I can't say that he's where he wants to be because where he wants to be is behind a wheel driving a car, hanging out with his friends. And um, that's just not possible right now for him. It's all hard. <laughs> it's all hard. Um, there are challenges for parents, as I'm sure there's challenges for caregivers. Um, there's conflicts at work because I have had to miss work to care for my son or take him to appointments. Um, you know, even though I, I have the supportive family, my, I, I have to do it. I mean, he's my son when my husband can't do it, I have to do it. So, so that's been challenging with work. Um, there's challenges with, um, keeping it together because I still have two other kids and I still have my husband, um, you know, trying to be super mom while really wanting to just sit in a corner and break down and cry for a week kind of thing. So that's, that's really hard. Um, challenges with health, um, challenges with, knowing and understanding when it's time to say, you know what, I, I need a little bit of help. I can't do this all by myself. And being able to knock down my pride and, and realize that that is what's happening and accept it. Um, so those have definitely been some challenges. I've, I, you know, again, I've been able to lean on my family um, quite a bit, but sometimes that's just not enough. And so, um, I've gotten through my challenges pretty good. I will tell you, my family will always come first and no job is ever too important, you know, to not put my family first. So my son will always come first. And, um, as far as everything else, I just have to do things that help keep me healthy and strong. And, uh, so the working out has helped me a lot, um, being with my family has helped me so much sitting with my sons and my daughter and my husband over dinner and just laughing about the dumbest things ever. Uh, it's just the best moments. Um, so I think finding humor as much as we can with the situations that we face have really helped me. But, um, I definitely, I can't say that all of this has come without challenges. It, it's been it's been a rocky road. What do you think has helped Ruben the most? My son has this determination. He just thinks he can take on the world. And, you know, it inspires me so much. He's just got this mindset and this heart. And once he puts his mind on it, he's going to do it. So I would say 
family has supported Ruben. He's got a small circle of friends that have just been, they've been there since day one and they just love him so much. They've really supported him. Um, another thing is, um, finding his faith, you know, for Ruben, faith has been a struggle. And if I was in him, his shoes, I'm, I'm sure it would have been this whole time for me too. It's hard to accept what he's faced with and what he has been faced with and what he might still be faced with, you know? And so faith has definitely been a, a big thing. Um, the determination is huge. And the other thing that I will say is Ruben has learned through this that he has to do kind of like what I've learned. Sometimes you just have to sit back and say, I, I can't do this by myself. I need a little bit of help. Um, I'm just going to throw this gentleman's name out there because he's amazing. But there's a gentleman named Chris Maxwell. And um, he's had the same situation going from encephalitis to epilepsy. He's an author. He's a pastor. Um, this man has just helped change my son's life in, in so many ways. And so um, that's been another huge factor for Ruben. Can you think of anything that you would tell a parent um, who may be going through something similar that you're going through? Absolutely. Um, know that you're not alone because you're not. There's so many of us out here and we're all in it together and it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to reach out and it's okay to vent and it's okay to ask for help. And when I say ask for help, it's okay to say, who can I talk to? It's okay to say, are there support groups that can help me? Um, I have Ruben's journey on Facebook and uh, we've got about 10,000 followers from all over the world right now. And I get messages daily from, I can't even tell you how many messages I get daily from there, 500 plus. And we're all in this together. Um, I know, like I mentioned earlier, a go-to for a parent is usually it's going to be okay. I know sometimes it's okay to say it's not okay right now. <laughs> and it's okay to fall apart. Um, when you see your loved one struggling, especially a child, you feel helpless. And there's nothing in this world worse for a parent or a caregiver than feeling helpless, knowing you cannot help your child make the pain end. Um, so it's okay to break down. Um, it's okay to ask questions, but always know that there is support everywhere. And uh, we're all in it. And um, if you're someone like me that has a child that has a rare incurable illness, fight for it. Um, I'm on a mission to raise awareness. I'm focusing on putting together the first encephalitis walk in San Antonio, Texas right now. And um, I'll tell you what, I'll be dead <laughs> fighting for this, but I will continue to fight, raise awareness. Let's get it out there. 
Roxanne wants parents to know that it's okay to vent, it's okay to ask questions, and know that you are not alone. There is currently not a date set for the encephalitis walk in San Antonio, Texas, but Roxanne will keep all of our listeners up to date as soon as they solidify a day on the calendar. I I do want to say thank you. Um, Getting Ruben's story out there and helping others understand what encephalitis is and know that they're not alone and understanding that at some point we're going to find a cure. We're going to push and we're going to push hard and we're going to we're going to fix this thing. As far as resources go, Roxanne recommends Chris Maxwell, who she mentioned earlier in this podcast. And she also suggests visiting encephalitisglobal.org. They are an organization that connects people affected by encephalitis from all over the world. The website features resources and a forum where you can ask questions, and each year they put on a convention called FACES, where encephalitis survivors come together and share their stories, resources, and find hope. Ruben spoke at the FACES convention in 2017, and Roxanne said it was amazing because they could literally see that they were not alone. If you would like to connect to Roxanne and follow along with Ruben's journey, I will link to their Facebook page called Ruben's Journey and also Roxanne's Instagram account called Encephalitis Survivor. As always, I thank you so much for listening in on our podcast episode. And if you'd like any more information or to share your own story, please email info at childlifepodcast.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes so it makes it easier for other families and listeners to find us. Thank you so much. And I look forward to connecting with you on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now have a great day and go follow along with Ruben's journey.